0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now, let's dig deeper. Well, welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Joining me today across the table is John Tarwater. John and I will be discussing John's recent sermon that he shared with our church this past Sunday. That was in Matthew chapter 3, and the sermon was entitled, The Testimony of John the Baptist and the Father. John, thanks for your good work. Appreciate all that you've been doing in the studying and uh, prepping for the sermon, delivering the sermon this past week. And also, hey, thanks for being with us today. I know we were talking here before we went on to the mics. What a busy week for whatever reason.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be
0: here with you, Bart. Well, it's good to have you. I've always enjoyed sitting down with you. So, John, as with the first two chapters in Matthew, chapter three has a really deep Old Testament feel to me. In fact, I've even heard some people refer to John as the last Old Testament prophet can you take some time to set the scene we've got a little bit more time than you had in your sermon so set the scene that john has entered uh, into that narrative talk a little bit maybe about the political the sociological the even the ecclesiastical climate of that time
1: so they're coming in at the beginning of the 1st century and it's into part of the roman empire and what surprises me is so we've got the roman empire but the jews are a a religious nation that's trying to fit into that Hmm. and at the time that john the baptist came or we can say at the time jesus came you had both jews and non-jews who were looking for this one who had been promised in the old testament Hmm. uh you have uh the wise men they've been reading the old testament they see the star they're thinking about that one you've got simeon right after christ comes now that i've held him in my arms but you've also got a non-Jewish guy named Herod, an Edomian king. Well, he's Who, looking for him too. <laughs> and he knows about the, the, the uh, prophecy, if you will. I mean, he knows the one that they're talking about. And when the people encountered John the Baptist, the question came out, are you the Christ you know are you the elijah are you the prophet so they all were familiar with these prophecies even though we're in the midst of this roman empire and we've not we've had this 400 year gap between the old testament and the new testament so when john came into that climate in which a great number of people regardless of their res- perspective were they a king were they a religious leader or just a simple lay-, lay person they were all longing for and looking for that messiah and I'm guessing I mean, we have extra-biblical references and even biblical
0: references to others who had claimed to be the Messiah. John, uh, you know, John's entry and then Jesus' subsequent entry onto the scene. It wasn't out of the ordinary for people to come along during that time and say, "Here I am." <laughs> uh,
1: and, and we could even bring that up into the 20th century. I mean, oh, no one, no one has missed the. The, the record more than Jehovah's Witnesses. It seems like about every 10 years they've got right. another one they're recommending right. is the, the Messiah. That's one thing they're consistent in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: Well, so John includes a little of the interaction that he uh, that he's had, uh, that John the Baptist rather has had. John the Apostle includes a little of that interaction with the Jewish leaders in verse 7. And he shares in verse 7 of his gospel when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he even intercepts one of their main arguments by warning them, before they even say it, evidently, in verse 9, not to rely on their being descended from Abraham. Uh, Seems to be a sense of nationalistic and ethnic pride there that he was referencing. Can you suggest some similar warnings that John might share with our church members today?
1: Well, I hope that John at least uh, is not turning his eye on the people who are leading at Grace Baptist Church, right. <laughs> since I presently find myself in yeah. that corner. <laughs> However, I do think that John puts his finger on some general areas that might trip people up on their decisions not to repent fully, if I can use John's terms there. Okay. Uh, today, I'd imagine that there are still people who have been at a service and the Spirit began to move in their lives and they begin to make, question, uh, make decisions. They go forward, they might go as far as to be baptized, but there really is no real fruit in their lives that would suggest that they have fully repented. Mm. Um, for those who were part of the church during their youth or sometime later and now have not darkened the doors of the church for years, I believe John's warning is the same. Bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. And without that fruit, there really is no evidence that such a repentance ever took place. Mm. And while those attend grace might not claim that they are ancestors to Abraham, I imagine there are some that, like John's audience, have deluded themselves into believing that they shall escape the wrath because their family goes to church, whether it's them with their family or, or what not. They might state it differently, but the reality of the argument is just the same. I'm trusting in something other than what Jesus Christ did on the cross my actions of going forward my actions of being baptized my actions or my family's actions as being part of the church and i believe john's argument is the same there's only one escape for the wrath Mm. and that's repentance and placing one's faith in what jesus christ did upon the cross
0: yeah and as you're talking of course it was just recent that we were there but we go back to james and james says you know faith without works is dead being alone uh, you know, I, I, as you're talking there, I'm thinking. You know, many at the time of Jesus's presentation uh, here in chapter three were looking for a different kind of Messiah. We've talked about that just a little bit, and I, we talked about it last week with Chris Miller. I, I think that there are some very practical reasons for that. I mean, you know, they uh, they knew the scriptures, but were they really looking at the scriptures themselves? At, at the root of it was the fact that they allowed outside influences. To color how they were reading scripture instead of the, allowing themselves to influence the outside influences through scripture, and so they 're getting it seem to be getting it backwards uh, you 're talking about that and when you talk about these uh, items here that we just talked about the uh, people the way people come to Christ or try to come to Christ uh,
1: through their own actions, and you can even see it, people in jesus 's day who were sincere about it, even the disciples sincerely chose to follow Jesus but they didn't fully understand until after the resurrection. But like people in every generation, I think we begin to develop in our mind the kinds of deliverer that we individually or nationally uh, need. (laughs) And then since Jesus is a promised deliverer, then he must fit into one of those devised uh, plans that I have in my mind. So Jesus is the one that will liberate people from oppression political oppression, prejudicial oppression, sexual oppression, or, or whatever uh, box we seem to be needing at the time. And the irony is that because he is God, he certainly can and probably uh, certainly yeah. will. He just won't do it in the ways that we are perhaps devising in our minds. In the end, that kind of deliverance, it really is there. However, he'll not do it in the manner in which the people often devise. He'll not return to establish his kingdom Merely to install CRT. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> or
1: to reject, you know, uh, CRT. Oh, you're really um, wanting
0: to get into yeah. it now. Right? He'll
1: yeah. not establish his kingdom in order to liberate uh, LGBTQ or to have some sort of sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. But he does come to establish a kingdom where he will rule, and that kingdom will be free of racism and free mm-hmm. of uh, oppression. But it'll be according to his dictates and not what we have devised in our minds. Mm-hmm. And so, as a reminder for us, that we're made according to His image, and not He's not made according to ours. And salvation will be on His terms, and not on ours. Hmm. John, you,
0: you talk about a number of key sociological matters that are so prevalent today in the news or everywhere you turn. It's the CRT, the Critical Race Theory. It's the LGBTQ uh, agenda, and these types of things. Uh, but uh, even in the church, I'm uh, I think of a number of doctrines that we teach here at Grace. And I'll just be right up front with you. You know, you talked about being in leadership. You and I share that, <laughs> and I don't want to come across as an apostate here or her- heretical. But there are some things that we at Grace have said, okay, these are things we believe, but, you know, we're not going to say that these are things that are essential for salvation and essential for church membership. You know, we deal with a number of doctrines, uh, uh, the eschatology uh, doctrine that we adhere to. Um I'm not going to be totally surprised if we're not exactly right on every little <laughs> doctrine. And I think it's fair and it's appropriate to say that people listening to, to you, you know, you're an elder and you, you've, you've got it all right down. I'm going to ask you, are there any doctrines that you say, boy, I'm, I'm still working through this.
1: Uh, and, and then that I would be willing to say, and maybe not if you say, Hey, I'll get back with you on that. That's fine. But, you well, know, I
0: shared that one with eschatology. I'm
1: still working through it and I'm, I'm certainly not as sure about it as I used to be. Right. I would, I would go more in terms of there are practices that we hold dear mm-hmm. that we assume are, uh, major doctrines of the church through history. And we might be surprised to find out that they're not, or perhaps our uh, version of them. So, for example, there are things that we could say um, you ought to dress modestly, but what <laughs> does that modesty look like? Does does that mean that uh, all men have to have long-sleeved shirts, that uh, women must all wear long skirts that go below their knees? Uh, we want to be holy in terms of the... The types of activities do we do, but does that mean that no one is able to go to any movie and that we shouldn't have any televisions? Mm -hmm. Uh, We know we should read our Bibles, but uh, do we keep a list so that if I've not read my Bible every day this week or if I've not spent 30 minutes in prayer that somehow I have backslidden? And so we have to be careful not to confuse the things that God has given us to help us to grow in his likeness. Mm Mm-hmm with the things that are required for right. salvation. And uh, the the Bible's pretty clear in terms of uh, believe on me. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and that's what we say. It is pretty simple
0: in the whole scheme of things.
1: Now, when you we say, well, we want if we're gonna believe on him, we need to believe everything he said. And so, you know, do we have to believe that he was born of a virgin and so forth? Well, again, if he's going to submit to him as Lord, you would say yes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that might be something that through discipleship comes later. So that I'm not saying that. Uh, unless I unless right now you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, mm-hmm. unless you literally believe in a six-day creation, and unless you believe you know in the inerrancy of Scripture and all these things that sometimes come later in somebody's process of growing in Christ. Because when I share the faith with, say, my six-year-old daughter, those aren't the points I'm usually making. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so if I'm not making right. them then, then I must say, uh, not that they're completely ancillary, but we have to separate what is primary and what is secondary and what is tertiary
0: Uh, you've led us down this trail and i I appreciate it because i think you know it's likely that sometime whether it be in the next day or days or weeks or months maybe even years somebody listening to us speaking right now who would say you know i'm not sure what i believe about all that stuff I think I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Talk to that person about that. And I, I, I refer, just first or second person talk to that individual. You've said it in one way. I think it's important to, for us to say, "Hey, this is really what the important thing is."
1: Well, what I want to uh, stress is that if the Bible teaches it, it is important. So I don't want to <laughs> don't want to miss that sure. because I believe the Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus was sinless. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that because it's there it is important and we need to have it right and I would say the same thing about roles between men and women if the Bible teaches it then Mm -hmm. it's important and we have to have it right but what I'm saying is like many things in our life uh, we come with outside influences that affect our ability to understand rightly the way we'd say it this way is God has revealed himself in nature but because of sin we don't always see it and we need the spectacles of Scripture to help us see it rightly. But there's a lot of things we don't see because of sin in our life Mm -hmm. and because of our upbringing or whatever that's going to cloud truth. And so part of that unclouding process (laughs) is being in church regularly and hearing His Word preached and hearing the power of the gospel or seeing it begin to take effect in our lives so that those other issues Mm -hmm. become more and more clear.
0: And, And what I hear you saying is, come to Christ, God will work out the details. It's not, yeah, and I know that's been true in my life and I'm sure in yours as well. God will work out the details and kind of uh, knock off the rough edges where I'm wrong.
1: There we go. There
0: have been plenty of those, yeah. So, okay, so let, let's uh, move on here. Help, help us to understand the reference to Elijah the prophet that we read in John's gospel account in chapter one, verse 21. They're asking him. you know, Well, it's interesting in John. The account that John provides is that they say, uh, "Who are you?" And he says, "Well, I'm not the Christ." They don't even ask him if he's the <laughs> Christ. Now, in, in Luke, they do. But he says, "I'm not the Christ." And they said, "Well, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? I'm wondering if they aren't talking about Moses there. Yeah. I think they probably are. But I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. It expect. It seems that they're expecting Elijah. And the prophet as they await on uh, as they await messiah, so what what 's the reference to Elijah because nowhere in some of these uh, references you provided in the Old testament it doesn 't specifically mention elijah
1: in the text of my sermon, I alluded to uh, Matthew believing that John was the fulfillment of Isaiah fourteen chapter that 11, Jesus yeah. believed it, and um, also that John and Baptist uh, believed that they mm-hmm. were this fulfillment of Isaiah chapter forty. And one of the passages I referred to from Jesus was from Matthew chapter 11 where he Mm -hmm. kind of addresses this issue. In the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, Mm -hmm. the prophet records that before the Lord returns, he will, quote, send the prophet of Elijah, end quote. This is the last verse of the, the Old Testament, Matthew 4, 5. So in other words, the Old Testament closes with this promise that this prophet like Elijah was going to come back to precede the Lord. So in Matthew 11, Jesus says that John is first a prophet, and more specifically, he says that if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah. So clearly, John is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, according to Jesus, mm-hmm. about being the one who would precede God's anointed. It's interesting, because if, if the people were asking, John, are you Elijah? He says, no. But Jesus says, well, if I can correct you there, <laughs> he actually is. Yeah. And he's the one who is crying out in the wilderness. He's preparing the way for the people of the Lord. And he is the one that would precede uh, the king. And here I am.
0: That brings up the question. Uh, was John misinformed?
1: <laughs> well, like all of us, there's things that we say. Well, I thought I was right on <laughs> yeah. that until Jesus corrected me. You know.
0: Okay, good. Um, well, we we come here at the end of Matthew chapter three to an appearance of each of the three persons of the Trinity. Uh, they come on the scene. You got the Father. You got the Son. You got the Holy Spirit. It had to be a, a stunning and, and, frankly, John, a, a truly awesome scene for those present with John and Jesus. It doesn't happen all the time. Seems like it only happens at really seminal moments in history or in the scriptural uh, accounts. Can you point out some other key times that the Trinity appears in the scripture?
1: A couple of them that come to mind are, um, like I said, uh, this, we had a little conversation before it came on. Normally, when we're arguing for the Trinity, we're not arguing because there's a text that all three uh, persons of the Trinity are there, mm-hmm, but rather right. it's we see one indiv- we see an, an activity, salvation, mm-hmm. and we see... God doing it, we see the Son doing it, we see the Son doing it, or the Spirit. And so we, oh, okay, those three must all be God and they uh, must be one. Right. But there are some passages, such as Isaiah 61, mm-hmm. verses 1 and 2, where it talks about, quote, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. In fact, this is the the passage that is quoted by Jesus. Uh, at the beginning of his ministry, you know, he gets up, he reads the book of uh, of Isaiah, the scroll, and it says, well, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today, that I am that one. But here's the interesting thing is in the passage, we have the Lord, you know, speaking God. Mm-hmm. We have the Spirit of God, and the Messiah is actually the one that is speaking. Right. So this is one of those passages where we get all three persons there. And we just finished our walk through Ephesians. Right. In chapter 1, we see all three persons involved in the planning of redemption. So that's verses 3 through. Thirteen. I remember talking to Jeremy Kimball about
0: <laughs> that back in January when we first started.
1: And, and that's an exciting thing to see sure that, and I hate not to point that out. We see all three testifying that Jesus is the Son of God in First uh, John five verses one through twelve. So those are three passages where we, at least we see all three present. And there are some others, but it, it's not voluminous. Well, I was uh, as I was preparing and uh, preparing
0: these questions and comments for you I my mind went to the transfiguration and oh by the way who's on either side
1: Jesus <laughs>
0: Moses and Elijah there we go yeah so uh, so anyway no that it's just interesting to see those because I think those are they certainly mark important moments uh one you didn't mention another one Genesis chapter one where you've got the father and the the spirit hovering and you've got the son who is we learn in Thessalonians, I believe it is, that he is the creative agent.
1: In uh, Colossians 1, and Colossians. we see. Okay, yeah.
0: yeah. So anyway, well, John, we've got uh, chapter 4 next week, and we're going to uh, join Jesus out in the wilderness, and he's going to be tempted by, by the serpent. Help us to prepare for next week's study. What are some things to which we should be paying specific attention?
1: Um, I do not dwell on it much in the actual message that I preached last week although I probably should have in looking back on it. But chapter 3 ends with Jesus taking the first steps to, quote, fulfill all righteousness. Mm-hmm. He did this in his baptism. So I at least tried to mention that what separated his baptism from John's baptism or even what we practice here at church was he was fulfilling all ba- uh, all righteousness. Mm-hmm. He did this, uh, we say it like this way, he actively did something to bring about salvation for us. He confessed not his sins, but... But ours, and so we speak in terms of his active obedience, mm-hmm. and we see part of that in the baptism. But when we enter into the temptations in the wilderness, it should be viewed in that regard. He is still actively taking steps to secure our salvation through his obedience. Moreover, the one that we have just declared is king <laughs> is now going out to do battle, and so it's good to see those two yeah. tied together as we I mean I've got to tell you, I'm looking forward to Hutch's message on chapter four and I'm confident that your heart will be encouraged by the message that he'll share from God's Word that oh, day. Great, great. Well, we're looking forward to that, too. It's been a rich study here the
0: first three, four weeks of this study, mm-hmm. and uh, we really appreciate your work in Chapter 3. So, John Tarwater has been our guest today on Digging Deeper in Grace, and we've been discussing his recent sermon from Chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel. We invite you to access John's sermon as well as recent podcast episodes by visiting GraceCederville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking Podcast on the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecederville.org. That's contact at gracecederville.org. And please join us next time as we continue in our study of the book of Matthew. Until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you again for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecederville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's word.